and welcome to A Nightmare on Fear Street, a monstrous podcast about all things horror. If you like what you hear today, then you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can also rate and review us on Apple iTunes. And today we're picking up where we left off with Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Dream Master. (laughs) Hope you enjoy this bonus episode. All right. Let's get down to this, because holy movies, these movies now. All right. Mess, 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 mess. All right. Again, spoiler alert for anyone listening that has not watched A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 or 4, you might want to hit pause and go to, did you say it's on HBO Max? HBO Max. Aside from the third one, weirdly enough, the third one is not there. I had to give Amazon $3 on my sister's account and then Venmo her, because it was not my card, obviously. (laughs) <laughs> it was it was a sad Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so uh, I suggest going to watch the film so that we don't spoil anything for you. Or if you don't care, that's fine too. All right, let's get down to it. Number one, I want to mention that I really, really liked um, the, because, so I think it happened in the first two as well, but at least in the third and the fourth, they have a little like quote that comes up before the film really starts that kind of sets the mood. I really enjoyed this one. It's a quote from Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe. It is, sleep, those little slices of death, how I loathe them. I like the quotes because Night on Elm Street is just so campy and fun to where it's like, but also we read and also it's serious. And also it's supposed to be terrifying future brats. And so I love the quotes for pulling us in. Yeah. Right. So here we go. So this film really... <laughs> hits into mental health and um, disability. Um, it's set in a mental institution or a mental hospital. They never really say like what this facility is. And the credentials, I need to verify because these do not seem like real doctors. No. Um, but before we get there, we have, our, we have our lovely little lead actress, Miss Patricia Arquette, who we love. Um, but... She is at home with her mother, and you know, this is, you know how we love our Nightmare on Elm Street parents. They're just the best. (laughs) At one point, of course, it's the 80s, so the mother calls the therapist a shrink, because that's what we did in the 80s, apparently. One question that I had, and and I I have a thought, but Sheree, you might be able to enlighten me a little more, but... um, so the, the the little blonde girl that keeps appearing in all of these films, who is she? Is she who is she? I I keep wondering if she's just representative of all of the innocents that we've accused Freddie of stealing, um, or if she's a specific girl. Like, did Freddie Krueger have a child of his own? Did he have a cousin or a niece he was fond of, or is it just like a random symbol for all of the kids he's out here to murder in their teenage years? I need answers. I would like them. I will be doing research. I can be back to us with a presentation later in the season. I kind of thought that it was one of his first victims when he was alive. And he's a child murderer. That's what I thought. Now, we're not covering this film today, but in the last film of like the main Robert England series, Freddy's Dead, it is revealed that he does have a daughter. So maybe they retroactively talk about that. It's been a while since I've watched that movie. But it makes 
sense, especially because we don't know he murdered children before he was burned alive and then invaded their dreams, which is a leap. Don't get me wrong to be like, well, now that I've been burned alive, I'm coming into their dreams and killing them instead of whatever I was assumed of doing to them. Right. Yeah. Right. Anyway, this is a thought that I had because in this opening scene, more so than in, in the first two, she has more of a role to play. Don't she, though? She's like drawing them a house. Right. And she says, Freddy's not here. It's creepy. Um, <laughs> the bathroom scene. So when she, you think she's awake and she's, you know, it's all good. The bathroom scene, when she goes to turn that water on and the faucet like attacks her, is terrifying. It, everything in her room is more terrifying than anything else we're going to see the movie. Like, <laughs> um, the house she's building, like, her bathroom attacking her, what her mother's wearing on this date, which comes up to, like, tell her to shut up and go to bed so she can get it in. Like, also, mom number three, priorities. Priorities. Just trying to get I have it. a man downstairs. Stop your suffering. Like, <laughs> it's just parenting. But, like, <laughs> family. who has a nightmare consistently about this creepy old house and is like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build a model of it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> conquer your fears how you want to, but also, also... You know what I got to say about that? Hashtag white people. Uh, I did think it was a really interesting concept. It is kind of... It's the 80s, so they didn't... They weren't as um, conscious of this as we are today, but like, I did think it was an interesting concept to have Freddie slit her wrists and then have her mom come in and think that she did it. Yeah. That was interesting. Especially because especially the mom keeps diminishing what trauma is happening to the starter by saying she needs attention, which is something a lot of parents say when they get on the victim blaming bandwagon. Um, so many different plays, movies, TV shows. Really? Um, it goes back to, you just want attention. Stop it. I don't believe you. And so that's also a choice, especially even if you do believe that once your child wrists are slit, it's a different game no matter what. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bigger cry for help, not attention. Um, yeah. And I, I thought this was an interesting use of that convention. I think, and we'll get to this later on, I think there's another point that it's a little more problematic, but we'll get there later. Yes. So I totally forgot that a young, sexy Lawrence Fishburne is in this movie. I'm here from going by Larry Fishburne in the 80s. He was like, I haven't earned my full name yet. I will, though. Give me Larry Fishburne. I will earn a letter every three years until I am Lawrence <laughs> Fishburne. I appreciate that he was one of three Black characters that I saw with lines in this movie. I mean, of course, two of which he was a custodian or I, was he an actual nurse? We don't even know. It was murky. And then, of course, the other one who's not one of the, like, main roles is a nurse. And so, like, we have that, like, whole stereotype of we'll let Black people in, but they all can't be important to the things. Some of them got to be working. Black people <laughs> finally came to Elm Street. Yeah. They can't be doctors, though. They can't be psychiatrists. They can't be concerned parents. But they can like help us keep things in order and clean. Do we really want them to be these parents? Because no, they can't drink enough. <laughs> That's why they weren't invited to the parents' readings. These parents are rough. Okay, so um, yes, Lawrence Fishburne, sexy. 
I'm here for it. Um, I wish he, I wish they, I wish he had a better role because like he doesn't do much, but he's yeah. there and he's. He's there. got like four scenes, maybe five. Maybe. And all of them have no character development. So much as him walking in, being like, "You can't smoke in here." Well, okay, but don't tell people I saw you smoking in here. Right. And I'm like, "What is your, what is your role, Larry Fishburne? What are you doing?" Yeah, I feel like they thought they were going somewhere with his character, and then somewhere along the way, it just kind of got lost and or cut or something happened. I want those cutting room edits because maybe there's a whole other world. Maybe even at one point he is possessed by Freddy Krueger or he's in someone's dream. And then Freddy's like, ha ha. Because we know Freddy likes to play doctors, nurses and all the things in between. Or he saves someone, you know? Yeah. Nancy, she returns in this film. Um, She's older. She's maybe wiser but she still can't act. She kept the streak though, so we remember her. And I do think I do think that it is a nice choice to bring Nancy back because I do think that, as I said in the last episode, one of my biggest issues with two is that there is no connective tissue between one and two and three. Um, bringing Nancy back brings us back to one and helps that connective tissue be created. And I think that was a good choice even if I'm not the biggest fan of hers. Same. As much as I didn't want to see her act, I was happy to see her there. <laughs> because instead of us getting like random mentions that clearly weren't true, because Jesse said, well, Jesse was told that the girl in his room, who was Nancy, was driven mad. And that's the story. But clearly she went off to college and is like a grad student now and like doing like work in trauma and being cool and shit. And I'm like, well, both of these narratives can exist. So is it sort of like a Halloween situation where we pretend two didn't happen for the sake of the story? I or think, is it, yeah. I think that they did. Because they also get rid of the whole, like Freddie is trying to come into the real world and all that stuff, which yeah. didn't work in the second one. So I think they got rid of it. He wants to be inside no one in this one. Like, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, let's talk for a little bit about the setting in general. Like, setting it in... Yes, please. It felt like it felt like they wanted to get out of their cul-de-sac, and so they tried it before putting us back in it for future episodes. It's an interesting choice, because in every film before this, the, the kids who are being attacked by Freddy are seen as crazy, are seen as addicted to drugs or you know some, something mental is not right according to the parents so part of me appreciates that they, they just went all in and we're just like we're just going to take them to a mental institution and that's it but then the other part of me remembers this is the 80s and they didn't really talk about mental health and, and mental dis- you know people with disabilities and stuff like that as well as we would today <laughs> What are your thoughts? I have so many thoughts. My first one being, how do these kids, the specific group of Elm Street kids, survive long enough to be hospitalized when everybody else doesn't? And how was it these specific families were like, you do need help, instead of go to sleep, it's fine, which is what Nancy's mom did. Yeah, or even Jesse's mom. They were all just like, it's fine. People wake up screaming, it's normal. And so, like, how do these kids have a parent, at least one parent who's checked in enough to be like, I'm sending you to get help. (laughs) 
Um, kudos to those parents who we never see and meet, aside from, of course, our leads, who I don't even, we'll come back to who. Um, <laughs> my second concern is that this facility, like I said, I want to see credentials because right now all of the doctors come across as, I don't believe you, stop being this way. You just need to go ahead and go to sleep and do better, which is not how most people respond to people in trauma and stress. I know that when I am having my moments, telling me that I am crazy and overreacting is not helpful. Perhaps it works for some, I don't know them, <laughs> but this is all of the doctors in this hospital's method. And I feel like there should be other methods and treatments as well. Agreed. And maybe that was the method in the 80s. Some uh, listeners out there, if you were alive and dealing with the mental health system in the 80s, come to our mentions and let us know your experiences. Because, yeah. yes, this just does seem very cold, especially the female doctor. You cannot help someone by telling them you don't believe them. <laughs> you know, as someone that, my day job, I work with people with disabilities. I do... I love the idea of including them in this film, specifically um, the boy who is nonverbal and the boy that's in the wheelchair. I think that it is, uh, you know, even if they die, um, which, I mean, it's a horror film, so most of them are gonna die anyway, no matter if they're, you know, whatever um, demographic that they're from. So, but I did enjoy that they were in, included into this film, because oftentimes they're not. Um, and Nightmare, in general, in the franchise as a whole, is pretty good about including people with disabilities. There's another one later on in the franchise. I don't remember which one it is, but it's got a kid with a hearing aid. Because I remember that's involved in his yeah. thing. Um, so they, do, they are better at that than other franchises. But we'll get to some of my issues with them later. Mm. I know. <laughs> no, it's one of those things, and we talked about it on other issues, where it's just like, I see how this was a stepping stone for what was to come in media, but also to invite some representation and then just kill it off, to be like, we can't really like let you win this. We just want you to feel included. Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, while we're here talking about characters, let's talk about your favorite character. Hmm. <laughs> The only uh, black person in the main cast, as we mm -hmm. said earlier, Lawrence Fishburne is and a, a nurse. And yeah. a nurse. This is the only black person who has like actual plot and story and character, and not just like working in this institution, yeah. and not even like one of the like top tier jobs. Which I so let's talk about biases for a moment. Like all of these white people in this institution are like therapists and doctors and head nurses. And the two black people are Larry Fishburne, who we think is an orderly, but we never get clarification on. Right. And a nurse who works the night shift, who <laughs> has like three lines. And is useless. She doesn't even help anybody. Literally. We'll she was eating her late night dinner and her night was ruined because, right. yeah. Um, and so to have Kincaid show up and you're just like, oh no, is he gonna die? Because that's the trope. Um, <laughs> Um, but while we're waiting to see if he dies or not, he only speaks in random phrases and sayings that don't interconnect with the actual dialogue. So like, they'll be like, Kincaid, Freddy's doing this. And he's like, in a while, crocodile. And it's like, why can't he, why can't his conversation and their conversation merge? Why does he have to be this person who only speaks 
<laughs> this certain way, which has, he, he doesn't listen. There's no active listening for this character. Also, well, the name Kincaid, because everybody else is like Joey and Christian, <laughs> like Nancy, Kincaid. How does that stand out on Fear Street? Is it his first name? Is it his last name? I, <sighs> Yeah, it, it sounds to me like it's his last name and they use it as a nickname, but that's never clarified. And I, yeah. And he's the only character that does not have a reason to be there. Literally, literally. Also, the fact that while we're learning who he is, we watch him let his roommate go to his death. That is our intro for Kincaid, is to be like, hey man, where are you going? Mm, not my fault. If you know Freddy's a real thing and your roommate sleepwalks, wouldn't you, wouldn't you be like, is this a normal sleepwalk or is it a Freddy sleepwalk? And he was walking real weird too. So like... a marionette puppet. So it was all like wrist, 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 crying. Which, and so okay. <laughs> yeah. Huh. And so yeah, Kincaid is just so flat and which is sad because I do think that the other characters, one of the reasons I kind of enjoy this film more so than the first or second is that the other characters other than Kincaid are much more developed. There's not mm -hmm. a lot of like, you know, there's complexity to all the other ones except Kincaid. And so I think that they completely missed the ball on that one. I, it, it's kind of strange to me that they're, all of these kids that are clearly dealing with this in different ways are all put together. Like, why do we have rehab going on with disability? Yeah. Like wheelchair use or, like, nonverbal. Like, you know, that's a lot. I, I had questions with that room assignment because you have the kid who's in the wheelchair and you have the kid who doesn't speak, we assume, because of the trauma he's witnessed. And I'm just like, why would you put those two together when, like, the person in the room should be the advocate for the other one? <laughs> and, like, they can't get the help needed as we see when they watch their marionette friend be led to their death because right. literally like you why, why would you put those two together instead of in a room with someone who could speak for joey um or like help the other one get to where he needs to go to safety mm -hmm. i do and i really do like joey Fine, one of my favorite characters in this film he, he he's the only one that tries to help the dude that is the marionette He's the only one that's like, listen to me, but he can't talk. Which is why I want more detail on why he doesn't talk, because I assumed it was because the trauma had terrified him and he couldn't. But like his whole method of saving that kid was to bring people back to his room to watch him jump. It wasn't, <laughs> let's lead them to that bell tower. It yeah. wasn't write a note and wave it at the nurse. It was like, you don't hear me. I'm taking your tray. Follow me to my room for the good seats. And it felt very weird. Now that I think back on it, they say later on in the film that where that bell tower is, where the nunnery used to be, which we'll get to that in a minute, is mm -hmm. restricted. It's like off limits. So they can't go to it. It's been like shut down as part of the facility that they don't use anymore. So that makes more sense about why he didn't go to help him. Now, why the nurse wasn't more concerned when some a child is running and like banging on the ground, on the desk and like throwing your food around, like because she never even shows up to the window. <laughs> she doesn't no. She don't want to see it. She's like, whatever they're doing in there is nonsense, and I want no part of it. Right. And also, like, Joey is having a very terms of endearment, Sally-filled moment, but not using his words. And so how else? I don't know if I would follow him either. I really don't. Well, like, but you're trained in that, or at least I have been, 
that when someone who's nonverbal is freaking out like that, something is wrong and you need to like go get somebody, go get Lawrence Fishburne or Larry Fishburne yeah. or whoever. Larry Fishburne. He's there. He cares. We think. Right. Like, yeah. So I, I love Joey. Anyway. Um, but also Joey was the character who keeps getting sidetracked by boobs. Um, that's his whole goal is to see some boobs. He wants that nurse to take it off. And yeah. Freddie uses that a lot for Joey. He does. Also, did you notice that in the beginning of the film, when we first get to the in the facility, Kincaid is in the like solitary room and they never explain why. Or no, they allude to it. They say that he has a temper. Yeah, which also missed me with that narrative of angry black people, especially right. angry black men in mental institutions where they're probably not getting help and heard. Right. Miss me. When they're Larry, told, say something. Speak right. up, Larry Fishburne. Speak up. Right. When they're being told that what you're what you're experiencing isn't real. Okay, so the puppet scene. The let's get to it. Oh. Because we've talked about a little bit about the reaction and stuff. I think this is the scene that the use of slitting the wrists bothers me because it's much more graphic. And I get that he's not slitting the wrists as, as an attempt to like fay or like fay a suicide. Um, he's doing it to get the ligaments out so he can puppeteer him around. Mm -hmm. But it's still like, why that way? Why couldn't it be the top of his arms? Or, you know what I mean? My issue with it is Freddie has never cared about how these murders look. So when he slits like Christian's wrist in the beginning of the movie and then slits these wrists, it feels like all of a sudden Freddie cares about how it's being viewed. Freddie has given no shits because the parents give no shits and the town gives no shits. Yeah. Freddie will slash a girl in half and keep going about his day. And so like, I actually know, because in the second one he did hang, no, the first one he hung the boyfriend. I may need to rethink my stance and rewatch these again, actually. Is Freddie masking a lot of these murders, like the less creative ones as suicides for a reason? I mean, it's easier, it's easier that way to get parents to believe that it's just your kid being crazy. It's not an actual- But also Johnny Depp's death in the first one was clearly not a suicide. And so it's like, when does Freddie care enough to hide it behind suicide and why suicide, not accident or something else? Because Freddie's in a dream world. So like, right. what does it matter? And yeah, and he leads, uh, I don't know, the character's only around for like two scenes, so I don't even know his name. But he leads Same. the marionette character up to the, the bell tower and he falls off. So like, again, faking a suicide. But I will say the special effects on that one so gross the out of the top of the foot is what got me i was like oh nope i can't do it i feel like that department was like we'll commit to this one thing everything else will be hit and miss but this one thing is going to be gross and haunt you forever right and i know i'm just look thinking about this logically and it's a horror film and i shouldn't do that <laughs> um but like <laughs> the line between dream and reality so in the dream world he's a marionette walking up to the bell tower in the real world he's literally walking to the bell tower but in the real world he goes he like phases through the door do you remember that yeah. shot? it's it's yeah i don't understand how he did that yeah why did, couldn't he just push the door open yeah you can't just drag an actual person through a door in the real world is it like are they making a statement that it was like a state of sleep 
but not full. I don't know. I have to rewatch already. Damn it. I can't keep going back. We have to go forward. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we might revisit these if they come back. Um, okay. Yeah. So I will say, I am not a huge fan of the nun storyline. Nope. It's not needed. It's weird. I don't need an origin for Freddy. It, you know, I like that it brings in that you have to uh, deal with his remains. Like, I think that's an interesting idea. But there are other conventions they could have used to get from A to B without there being a ghost nun around the facility. Also, the doctor who keeps seeing the ghost nun, but I recognize that she's a ghost nun, is concerning for many reasons we'll get to, I'm sure. But that is another issue with the nun plotline, is the one person she's reaching out to is such a skeptic, but doesn't think, oh, wait, nobody else sees this woman. Oh, wait, she disappears. My, but my biggest issue with the nun plotline is to make her Freddy's mother a through product of assault. To put it on an assault and then that's why he's such a monster and he hurts children and then they have to burn him. That just, I don't like that narrative. And yeah, and like there's so many plot holes in that, in that line. Like why was this nun locked in this room over the hollow like why was no one checking on her did she not have friends did she not have family like it just didn't make sense and it's not doesn't need to be there i it was definitely something somebody added in and nobody was like should we not right which makes me sad because so much gets cut in a horror movie especially a west craven i've seen those box sets and dvds i was in the commentary so much gets cut this was not one of the things to cut yeah exactly so, okay, we move into our, the convention in this film, which I actually enjoyed as a kid, but as an adult, I was like, what? You get these extra powers, supposedly, in your dreams, which, if that were the case, why didn't Nancy have them in one? Why wasn't Jesse having them in two? You know, like, why are they just not added? Anyway, but I thought, as a kid, I enjoyed it. It was like men- melding superheroes and horror, which I love both. But as an adult, you realize, so Will, who's the kid in the wheelchair, gets the ability to walk, and he's like magical, a magical wizard. Yeah, uh, which is a choice. Right. Kincaid, which I, I, I mean, I get the choice because he loves D&D, and they show them playing D&D earlier in the, in, the, in the film. So I get it. His, I understand. Kincaid gets super strength. I don't, Even's a chair. It's the weakest of the powers. It I is, disagree about the weakest because the girls get the shit into the stick. <laughs> that's right. In my dreams, I'm pretty and a little bad. And I'm just like, who wrote this shit? Right. Who wrote a, this a, a straight man. Um, <laughs> yeah, at least Kincaid gets something useful. Patricia Arquette gets to do some flips. She gets to and badly. And badly. badly. And the other girl gets some mohawk and some knives. Like Right. And I'm and while like it was fierce. She looked fierce. I get I get it, girl. Work your fierceness. Yeah. But like they and honestly, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, they didn't even get the worst powers. The person who got the worst powers was Joey. His dream power is he gets to speak. And he gets to finally see the nurse's boobs. That's what he wanted in his dream, and that's what Freddie gave him. And it almost got him killed. Because <laughs> he's focused. Joey, he 
gives no shits. He's like, I know we're all in peril danger. I know Freddie's trying to kill us. I know people are dying. A death is inevitable. But those boobs, though. <laughs> the only powers that make sense and that are actually, like, useful at the same, like, those two things happening at the same time is Will's. And it only helps him for, like, two seconds. But, uh... It was a choice. It was a... Because, like, okay, first off, I get wanting to be magical because, like, as I will keep arguing, witchcraft has been called for feminism forever. So, of course, I wanted to be magical, too, as a child. The fact that they throw him in this, like, cookie crisp <laughs> outfit and it's just some blue lasers at Freddy and then, like, floats to him was a choice I did not want to laugh at, but I did. The fact that what kills... Will and Taryn are their real-world struggles. Will essentially gets killed by a wheelchair with spikes all over it. And Taryn gets killed by Freddie injecting her with who knows what. Yes. (laughs) I I have issues with that, especially because, like, we only know about her addiction from that other orderly nurse person we don't know. He only has one scene. And he's trying to, like, get her to, like, meet him in the drug closet so he can get in her pants. And he's very aggressive about it. It's not even, like, subtle. It's like, these are the keys to the kingdom, young lady. And I'm just like, can we not? Can we not? Like 16? So many issues. This town is surrounded by pedophiles. And, and they work everywhere. And I'm just like, I don't understand. Where is Elm Street specifically? Because I need to, like, block that off on my map for my own personal well-being. <laughs> I don't like the message of killing people by their addiction, though, or their differently abledness. I don't like that. Um, especially because, like, if you're going to, like, incorporate these stories into your world to be like, we're being inclusive and we're doing the right things, and then kill them because, of course, that's who you're going to kill first when you're in the horror genre for whatever reason. Like, I would love to see these kind of characters sort of rise above and survive and be the final girl or guy. I would love that. That's the arc I want to, and I need. And we never get that. Instead, it's like, mm, died a junkie. And it's like, no, she was getting clean. This was, this is separate. This is personal. This is some bias and some bullshit. Because she even turns down no. that orderly. She does. Like, I don't know when the last time she used was, but she was fine. And so for Freddie to turn that on her, like, it feels really, really wrong through and, today's lens. And, 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 I, and I think the problem was, I think it's great that the representation is there but the representation wasn't handled carefully. Like most things, it was, uh, we're doing this, pat us on the back, but we're not going to think about the repercussions and what matters, because we still, at the end of the day, needed to be mostly white people who survive, um, who fit a certain type. Right, and specifically, this, the, the shot where it shows her like track marks yeah. being like, mouths that was if if i had that disease of addiction that would trigger me so badly Uh, it was not handled well it it was definitely someone in their own bias not checking in they were like i'm gonna do this and you don't just because you can doesn't mean you should Right. And while I'm, and again, while I'm glad the representation is there, and even if they died, that doesn't necessarily bother me if they would have just died. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, have, yeah. have I mean, just cut her head off or, you know, like, so, something right. that he's done a billion times before. Literally, because not everybody's death matches up with their history. We've established it already. Right. 
like if we're gonna pick and choose we need to pick and choose differently for these two specifically agreed or uh, yeah and pick and choose it's not even about it's not a hard choice it could be literally anything he could choke yeah. her he could drown her he could blow her up yeah. he could you know anything he likes to burn people let's burn some more people right oh i did notice i do want to point this out just so <laughs> and i brought this up to you earlier but the filming, when Freddie goes to kill Taryn with the little needle hands, he sta- he doesn't stab her correctly. If you watch it, watch it, watch that shot closely because they edit it out really quickly and go to where he's got it correctly. But he, when he first goes into her, he is not, his hands are not placed correctly. But I do, and actually, Taryn is one of my favorite characters too because, as you said, she has this disease of, of addiction but for the most part, she's overcome it. She has beat this demon that ultimately kills her, so that makes me sad. But like, she refuses to go to that guy with the closet. He, she, when she is, you know, in her dream and she's beautiful, but a little bad. She's still like, she's just a badass, you know. And I'm always down for some female badasses. I also wondered if there's more sexism at play in that we we can pretend to attribute Will not speaking to the trauma of Freddie, but we don't know what triggered her addiction. Like, was she and herself to stay up and to fight off these nightmares? We don't know. We never talk about it. We're just like, she was a junkie and she died a junkie. And I'm not okay with that narrative. We need more nuance there. True. Yeah. I agree. 100%. I really like, okay, so there was a bunch of special effects that I really liked in this movie um and a lot of them I was like they spent a lot of money on this movie like when they are in the in the quiet room or whatever they call it and some the it just gets shredded I was like that you built this set to just destroy it like again just like I said last episode practical effects is where it's at yes you cannot go wrong with putting in that extra work to do the things like i i don't like cgi for the most part because i'm always looking at how bad it ages because when you see in theater the first time it's awesome when you see it at home or on theaters the second time it's a choice i will stand by the green lantern though because that's when ryan reynolds had cgi outfits and that was fine that's still aging well but anything else is wrong (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk about this the third act of this film. Essentially when they all decide to go into the dream world to kill Freddy. I, I thought, I think it's an interesting concept. I like the idea of the Scooby gang going into the dream to save the day. I like that. But like most of this film, the concept is there, all the right elements are there, but it never fully gives me what I want. I've noticed with this rewatch that the third act is where these movies usually crumble, which makes me sad because it, it also explains why I don't remember how they end. <laughs> you know, I've watched them so many times as a small child, I don't remember these endings, but it makes sense because you have all this tension and all this buildup, you're doing all this cool stuff, and then you're just like, oh, we have to defeat Freddy, but we don't know how because we made him such a badass. Right. Um, let's just kiss him away in the last one. <laughs> And in this one, they're just like, well, let's go back to this house and we'll just do stuff till it works. (laughs) Until the dudes come and save the day. Which I also hate. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it just, it never, like the deaths aren't interesting. The people that do die, 
It's they're, they're not super interesting. It's it's just not. I don't know. It's not for me. Anything the stakes are dropped. Right. That skeleton special effect was so stupid. It was so. I felt like it was a goosebumps cover come to life, and I was like, "Who did this? Who did this? You had money so this time." Bad. <laughs> like, why couldn't they do something practical again? Like, did they just run out of money? I don't like. I will also say that as a child, I didn't notice the use of like sets. I so I watching it this time, I was like, they did nothing on location. This was all sound stages. This was all, <laughs> these alleys are sad. Like, <laughs> these homes are sad. And I was like, as a child, I somehow just overlooked that and my need to like get close to Freddy. So yeah. Okay, so we've already talked about this a little bit, but Joey's dream power being speech doesn't work because it's not like A, ableism. <laughs> like yes. speaking is not a power. It's an ability. Oh, yeah, like you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And also earlier in the film, there's a scene where he's like about to fall into the fire pit, and he opens his mouth to scream, and nothing comes out. I hate to tell Wes Craven or whoever made that decision. Nonverbal people can make sounds. It's not that they don't have a vocal box. It's just that they don't use it to speak in, in ways that we communicate. They communicate in different ways usually physical, but some, they can still be verbal. And they can scream, especially if they're about to die. I have only been in a couple of accessibility trainings in my like theater history, I need to go to more. But in the couple I've been to, we have always been taught over and over and over that like being someone who doesn't have one of these abilities doesn't mean you want one of those abilities. It means you get to like live your life in a certain way that is also cool and unique. And so for them to, paint Joey as in my dream I can speak and be one of you all feels weird and like does not do that character justice because now all we know about him is he wants to see boobs and he wants to talk and that feels like a letdown for that whole character structure can he can he not have more we don't know if he's not speaking because of the trauma or something else and so for his dream to be possibly him speaking when it's probably trauma induced is what I took away from it but maybe it's different um feels weird because something he could just start doing or he could find a real therapist not in this shitty institution (laughs) to help him get that yeah and like we said earlier I I don't like that it's the dad and the boy and the doctor that say that like saves the day the doctor was a weird choice him and Nancy had no chemistry the whole movie but it had to happen because he's a guy and she's a girl and it's the 80s. Right. And his disbelief of everything and her having to nudge him with being like, you said you'd keep an open mind, puts me in those weird gender norms we're used to seeing on old TV that I do not like. Mm-hmm. If you are actively thinking of sleeping with someone who you have to remember and to remind to have an open mind, stop thinking of sleeping with them. Stop right down. Right. Shut down, full stop, move on. <laughs> and so and they're like, come in and be like, I'm here for you, but I don't believe in you. And you also just do better. I don't believe in you. Like he does his kids. And I'm just like, why are you with this monster? This is a different kind of monster. He's not in your dreams with a glove, but this is a different kind of monster who's belittling you and people who share an experience and trauma with you. This is not healthy, Nancy. Well, and but luckily she's not going to be with him for very much longer because she (laughs) did. She Mm -hmm. gets killed along with her father, who is... And him. As we said in last episode, rest in peace, John Saxon. Um, Let's talk about this character turn. 
of how he's this embittered alcoholic now, but Nancy's thriving. And I'm just like, you both survived the same movie. So like, <laughs> can I get some breadcrumbs real quick? Like, how'd you end up here? And he died, so Freddie kills him. And then Freddie pretends to be the dad and goes into the dream and kills Nancy. Also don't like making her a martyr in this third movie because she still hasn't learned how to act. So I don't want that to be her story. <laughs> I want her to wait until she can act in order to get that like status. Well, luckily she did come back for the Wes Craven's A New Nightmare, which is a very interesting movie. If no one's seen it, you should go out and watch it. Um, and she is a better actress in it, but she's playing herself. So it's a little easier. All right. Well, do we want to move on to Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Dream Master? So, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Dream Master. I, okay, I don't even know how to go about starting to unpack this. First off, this title. Let, let me do, let me, let me just make a preface, because a lot of my notes are the same thing. The costuming in this film is atrocious. <laughs> I hate almost every costume in this movie. Who sleeps in these things? Who sleeps in a nightgown that looks like it was made in 1880? Not 1980, 1880. Who sleeps in a dress-up, a, a button-down shirt that's three sizes too large when you're not having just had sex with a gorgeous man and it's his shirt? Like, who sleeps in these things? Nobody. It was so bad. Anyways, okay. Got that out of the way. That's half my notes. All right. Um, my first note for episode four is we find out very, very quickly that Patricia Arquette and Larry Fishburne are too busy to come back. If we have a new Christian, new haircut, <laughs> bold choices. And we're not even told who she is. We're just in this dream with her and we're like, huh? And then it's like, oh, you're this character we just saw, but not. I don't know then Joey and Kincaid, who are the... Because Kincaid lived in the last one. Round of applause. He lived in the third one. But he's back in the fourth one. So we know how this ends. Because <laughs> you don't live twice. It comes down with her on a dream. With a kid drawing the creepy house. And being like, Freddy's here at home. I do not like kids. I need warnings for kids in movies that are of the horror nature specifically. And then she pulls Kincaid and Joey into her mess. Which is selfish. I mean, I get it. You found her superpower in the last movie but also it's just selfish to be like well i'm asleep and i'm in a nightmare so you should be too when they're doing things you don't know what they're doing you don't know their lives yeah and then when, when we meet the new characters alice and her brother i can't think of his name right now the 30 year old comedian masquerading as a young teenage boy like he was too old for this film hands down especially because they like to cast these girls so young he really stands out as being jeweled for this fucking film. I was like, who is this grandfather rolling off this roof to kiss this teenage girl? I don't understand this relationship. Look. Well, and I'm, the relationship with the father. This is also another parent who's been driven to the drink instead of dealing with what they've done to Freddy Krueger and possibly their kids. I feel like it's not worked for so many parents now that they would stop, but they're just like, no, I'll drink it away. Because <laughs> that works. Nancy's mom didn't drink hard enough. That was her downfall. I'll outdo her and then I'll be fine. <laughs> but the relationship doesn't make sense. He literally said two seconds before he is avoiding all contact. And then the minute 
he comes on screen contact and not just like contact he initiates the kiss on the cheek it's just it's a very strange choice very weird but yeah the friendships and relationships make no sense whatsoever none well you know what does make sense deb's hair it was everything it was the fiercest dynasty look i've ever seen in my life which she, works because she likes dynasty that's why she's booking her classes to watch dynasty she was like get you a vhs and record it and graduate and dad was like i want to see it in real time or, <laughs> you see this hair <laughs> i do what i want yeah that's one of her two characteristics so right well three but the third one isn't added on till later in the film to make her death make sense oh, right 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 yeah <laughs> we'll get there yeah, oh, and then the relationship between the new characters and the old characters, it just didn't work. It's like they wanted to force two movies together that did not need to be together because it took me forever to figure out why these two worlds were merging. And after all of the original three were killed and Alice is like, maybe he needed us to connect to the newer generation. And I was like, that's, a, why couldn't we just not? Like, because I've been wondering the whole damn time why none of these kids, aside from Jesse, who wasn't even an Elm Street kid, he moved to Elm Street, didn't have younger siblings. Because it's just like they all had one teenager <laughs> and they stopped. So Freddie could kill them and be like, I'm done now. And I'm like, but that, I don't understand. Why is it in the water? You just have the one and then you're done? I don't know. Um, <laughs> and so clearly he was going to run out of kids. He just was. And for them to do this like, far out reach to stretch this and make this new rule that he can find new kids if the Fear Street kids, I mean, if the Elm Street kids lead him to them. If we ever strangely will have children, they're gonna be the Fear Street kids. <laughs> they are, they are. Fear and fear. I feel like the, these movies, as they get further out from the original, just tried to do too much. I don't. Yes. I don't need a yes. whole concept for every film. Rewatching these first four films reminded me that I, when I always go back and forth between Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street as my favorites, and I think it's because they both are letting me down really early on in the franchise, <laughs> and so I was like, maybe this one. But back to this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, he dies first because he survived the last one, but we have to kill a black person. Can we pause for a second and talk about this fire pissing dog? <laughs> yes. Yes. This dog who Christian brought into a dream and bit her, and she woke up from the bite, put a towel in her arm, and then laid back down with her bloody <laughs> dog bitten arm. That's not how you take care of that. It's not, that's how you get an infection. It's, it's how you, it's how you die. <laughs> you have no alcohol, you have no peroxide, you have no bandages. You're just like this towel I happen to have in my bed when I go to sleep. Well, apparently this dream dog is a dog from hell because it pisses, when it lifted its leg, and pissed fire. <laughs> what is Kincaid feeding you? What? That's <laughs> what movie are we watching? Because like, I there's uh, 30 billion other choices you could have made to have the ground do what it needed to do. But the right? dog is... No, that, 
It's a move. Like, because the dog could have done nothing. The dog could have not been in this dream. The dog could have bit him, barked at him, morphed into something. But piss fire was what we did. We were like, you know what's imposing when dogs piss fire? Who came up with that? <laughs> who, who was like, I like when dogs piss fire. That's the mood I want to bring to the horror genre. <laughs> Pissy fire. Oh, we got to go big or go home, you know? Right? We did not come to the fourth movie <laughs> to not have a dog piss fire. <laughs> it's a hill I will die on. <laughs> and my, my next note is, of course, the black guy dies first. <laughs> because he survived the first one. So, of course, he has to be the first one to die here. Right. And, of course, he's the first one to die here while still yelling things out of context. They still won't have him listen to a conversation or actually, like, speak like a person because nobody thought, hey, do black people sound like normal people? Is that how they sound? <laughs> do we have sentences? Do we have, do we have active listening? You just and make so, little uh, funny corpse. Call people right? Babies. Right? Just like, well, you's fishing for a bruising. It's like, why? Why, though? Why? Th that moment when the shot goes up and it's just like, at the, he screams for Kristen. Did it look like he was in like a snow globe to you? It did. Also, let's talk about how we repurposed the place where we killed Nancy's dad and possible fake love interest. We were like, you know what? Where Freddie's buried in these <laughs> random like card dumps, let's just reuse that for the black person we're going to murder at the top of the <laughs> next right. movie. Because we just um, have it set up. I do want to go back because we missed a character, another character that I love, that sadly does not. We'll, we'll get to her death later. But I love the little black girl, the new little black girl. I can't think of her name right now. The nerd with the glasses. Sheila. Sheila. Yeah, yes. I have a whole dissertation on Sheila. Yeah. I love that she was not, she wasn't the stereotype that Kincaid was. Yes. She was and, smart. And she could have gone further and we'll get there later. But I loved her in that first scene when she, when that dude was trying to like be an asshole to her and yeah. that took up for her. I love that. However, I also am clocking it for colorism because Sheila's not as dark as Kincaid. And so perhaps that's why she can read a book and active listen and have a conversation. Um, but also we play on that whole smart girls can't be real people trope. So like, it's all like, she likes her books more than the boys. And it's just like, you can do both if you like balance your calendar correctly. Like you can have it all in the year 1980, whatever the fuck this was. You just got to get an agenda. Get you a schedule. <laughs> but they talked to her like she was this like random person with like no sexual urges, which I mean, if she is, that's a conversation and we shouldn't make fun of her for it. Right. But also I just am over this narrative of she has glasses that she can read so she doesn't get it and she doesn't want it. But I wanted to make sure we mentioned Sheila before we got to her, her death scene because I do enjoy that she's actually in the movie. <laughs> I, I love that we finally have a black person who is in a movie and doing things, but also that colorism, I had to clock it because I feel like that's part of it. That and also Kincaid is not a feminine energy. And so it also ties back into today's arguments and issues of how black men are viewed. Mm -hmm. um, they are always threats. So of course they're loud and they can't listen and they speak in a whole other situation that nobody understands that makes no fucking sense. And I don't like that narrative and I'm kind of judging this franchise a little bit differently seeing that not as a five-year-old now. 
it's totally fair. Oh, did you also clock? There were so many times when Kristen goes to light her cigarette and it doesn't light. Because she's not a smoker. My inner monologue later on after Kristen dies, spoiler alert, uh, when Alice goes to smoke and she said, wait, I don't smoke. And I was like, neither did Kristen. But I didn't stop her. <laughs> <laughs> it was so obviously not lit that I was like, what is going on with this movie, y'all? I just, I don't even know anymore. It was wild. But back to the death, because like after Kincaid's death, we see Joey die next. Yes. The boobs. Joey, always the true North Joey, was like boobs. And so Freddie gave him boobs and then drowned him in his own bed. <laughs> talk about the magnificent 80s masterpiece that was Waterbeds. <laughs> they weren't comfortable. Why did anyone, you couldn't get in or out of them easily. Like, <laughs> and my dad, my dad had a waterbed up until like the mid to late 90s. I look at water beds, like I look at most things where it's like it's new and so you need it because it's new <laughs> and it's expensive. So you need it, but you don't want it once you finally get it. But you spent like three months worth of your like, pay on it. So you have to like make it work. <laughs> <laughs> that poor water bed. Also, what teenager has a water bed? I know the Elm Street parents are doing well because all they do is drink and rake in money, but also. <laughs> What? What teenager has a queen-size waterbed in their room? <laughs> Especially one who's not entertaining guests, because clearly Joey's not very sexually active if all he thinks about all day is boobs. We've seen for two movies. He just wants to see boobs. So what's with the queen-size waterbed? What's he doing with it? Boobs. I have questions. All right, so Joey, bye-bye. We love you. You got your boobs. At least you died happy. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and so now we move on to Kristen. This is when I was like, two of our three originals are dead. I don't even know why we had these three originals here to begin with. <laughs> I made a note that I wish they had lived a little longer because it, it was an interesting yeah. concept to bring them back. But if you're not going to utilize them for anything, hmm. why are they there? It was literally a hodgepodge of, are we going to make two movies or one? Because you have this whole, like, first movie with the three originals, and then you have this other movie with the new kids, and then you have that Alice line, which is the Band-Aid, to be like, Freddie needed her to bring the rest of us to him because we're not the original Elm Street kids. And I was like, how about we not give exposition this way? <laughs> how about we just not? So we got back to Kristen, and she's in a worse pajama set than she was in in the original scene. This is the this is the button down, the oversized button down. This is the reason the K Morris and J C Penney's had to start closing down because of what she was wearing and all of our feelings about it. Because you can only get them in those two stores. Whoever the costume designer is for this film, I know that I'm trashing your work, and I'm very sorry, but it's trash. <laughs> but maybe their budget went to the pissing dog fire. <laughs> Maybe they were like all in for this dog pissing fire. People got to take some budget cuts. And they were like, but that means I can't have the robes I want. It's like, well, this dog got to piss fire. Sorry about it. <laughs> you get a white button down. That's what you get. We hinged on this dog pissing fire. We all know this, right? <laughs> if the dog doesn't piss fire, why are we even here? Why do we even come back? Like, <laughs> just. Oh, the moment. 
and she backs up and hits her head on the wall. <laughs> How hard is she backing up? Like, <laughs> she, that looked like she touched the wall and fell to the ground. Like, that's what it looked like. It was definitely one of those times where somebody barely touches somebody and they just like fall out because they need attention. It was one of those. And I was like, it's it's okay. You have you have faced Freddie. If your 30-year-old comedian boyfriend masquerade as a high school student whispering at you knocks you back, you're not ready to fight Freddie again. Like no. you're still recuperating, obviously. But we do after that scene get the glorious Robert England and Drag moment, which was a choice. I don't know how to feel about it, but only because we keep playing with Freddie's sexuality. So I'm just like, perhaps or no, but there's no in between. And I don't know where to stand. <laughs> My problem with it is, I think we're reading it as we're playing with Freddie's sexuality. I think they were reading it as a cheap gag. Which in itself is a problem because like when you put a person in drag, it's a statement whether you want it to be or not. And so, like, are you just sort of being like, this will get laughs? Right. <laughs> That's not right at all. Um, yeah. Or are you just sort of being like, well, Freddie comes to them and all these things, and this one happens to be so practical that it reads a certain way. Yeah, I don't know. It was a choice. There were many made in this film. Many, or, many. <laughs> this franchise. <laughs> I do. Tell me what you think. I prefer Alice to Kristen. This new Kristen, yes. Yes. If Patty was still there, I would love her. I feel like Patricia definitely had more acting chops, but also this girl had like six scenes total, so maybe she wasn't really checked in. <laughs> and so like I, and most of her scenes are with people she had no chemistry with, and the relationships were not established ever. Right. How long has she been with this boyfriend? Like, because he's talking about her... Well, are they friends after surviving Freddy the first time or not? We don't know. He yeah. talks about them in one light, and then he talks about her in a different light, and it's the same trauma bond. Right. Oh, when she goes back with her mom and they're eating, din eating dinner, oh. did she really not know that she was drinking cloudy water? Like, kelp water has obviously got shit in it. <laughs> also, Elm Street mom number five for the drug win. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how your child is in distress so you drug them. Like that, we're not working for me on multiple levels. I need us to not do that. Let's not drug our children. Can we take a, a moment and enjoy the scene, the, the segment after that, when she's falling asleep? <laughs> it was the most dramatic climb up a staircase I've ever seen. I want to give her an award. To get her jacket and it gets like one half her arm in and it falls to the ground. And then she goes and like knocks everything off her table. <laughs> Also, how many pills were in that drink? Because it hits her real fast. <laughs> As someone who was prescribed sleeping pills at one point in their life, they don't work that fast. So I need to know how many her mom put in that glass. Because her mom <laughs> might be with her shoulder. That, <laughs> Not pretty. That glass was real cloudy. It looked like sludge. It was like tang, but not orange. It was like white tang. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I laughed so hard. And then she was, was trying she was trying to call Alice. She was like, Alice. Alice. <laughs> <laughs> and then she falls. And she falls yeah. and she dies. 
let's also clock that this happens during the day. So it's an early dinner because <laughs> when we see her again, it's no longer daytime. Just clocking that because nobody else in the production team did. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot that production team missed. They don't know what they, if you don't know what time of day it is in your scene, <laughs> that needs to be a meeting before you start doing the sit. Yeah, you can't just be like, well, we're going to like have her run upstairs at like 4.30 in the afternoon. But like her friend is also asleep across town, but it's 11 o'clock for her. <laughs> it'll meet at midnight. It'll, it'll be fine. Nobody will care. Nobody will clock it. <laughs> I clocked and, it. Right. And so Chris, and then she like pulls, so she pulls Alice into the dream. Selfish. And then Freddie's just like, bloop, into the fire. <laughs> like, it's the right. most. Ooh, no. Before that, though, she decides to apologize for Alice for bringing her into this and then run at Freddie for what? <laughs> you spent all this time hiding from him and running from him and fighting him, and you're like, I'm going to run at him and just end it now. <laughs> for what? Why? Right. Why? Stop your friend in for help. Can we not devise a plan? Can we not run together for a minute and see if we can figure it out? Right. In the last movie, she was all about, okay, let's make a plan. We can do this. We can do it. You know. But this yeah. movie was like, boo, 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 boo. But, not, but she doesn't die before she gives her power to Alice. Which, how did she find out she could even do? That was never a conversation. It was never a thought. Like, in the heat of the moment, she was like, I'm on fire. Let me give my power to you. And it's like, you can't just make up rules in the fire, Kristen. You gotta, you gotta lead us here with you. Right. But also, it makes sense that she dies because in this movie, she's the first girl. When in the last movie, she was the final girl, and so it makes sense she dies. But her death makes no sense. <laughs> right. So yeah, I was all down for her dying because the three original, the three previous characters, they all three needed to die for the for the yeah. storyline. I just didn't like that they were the first three that died and. I didn't like, and her death was so unclimactic. Like, all three of them in the same dream. Yes, I agree. And then yeah. I would have a newer character die first. Yes, yes, because like, what if Kristen pulls her boyfriend in, who we don't need, um, and he dies, and then she's like, "Oh shit, Kincaid and Joey, I did it again. I'm sorry." Yeah. Also, we don't know why she's like looking for Freddie in these dreams at the top of the movie. She is actually seeking him out. He's not looking for her. <laughs> He's waiting for that dog piss, that fire piss. That's his cue. He knows how to go out until that dog pisses fire. All of our original characters are dead. Now we just have new characters. And of course, right. Alice just like doop de doop de doo and starts pulling them all in her dream. And of course, the first one that dies is Sheila. The black girl. I am mad about that for so many reasons. I just feel we do a disservice to smart girls in this genre by always killing them first. And the way she dies is very much like you are a brain with ambition. Bye, bitch. And I don't like that. <laughs> it ties back into my issues with exorcism movies. And that is just like, how dare you try to have agency and rise above what the male gaze wants of you. Die. <laughs> well, and, and the one, the way they kill her is not good. So, but yeah, he like sucks the air out of her. Or, I don't know. It's weird. 
blame the asthma, which is back to Freddie caring about how he murders them and what it looks like. Right. And I'm just like, you're Freddy Krueger. You don't care what these drunk parents think of you <laughs> and what they think their kids died of. Why do you care now, Freddy? I need to go back and track these deaths specifically to see when he cares and when he doesn't. Right. Well, and then you have uh, the, the weirdest part of her death to me. Well, second weirdest, because the weirdest is like that whole, like, when he sucks the air out and she becomes like a balloon as if we're made of air. Um <laughs> So, um, when she, like, the blood comes out of her pen, and it's dripping on the page, and she, like, smears it around, like, why, why, why are you doing that? They always make choices once they realize they're in a dream and Freddy's about to murder them. Like, the girl in the third one, who clearly sees Freddy on the TV, so it's a sign she's asleep, but she tries to change the channel on Freddy Krueger, because that's how you... That's how you run from him by changing the channel. <laughs> then he will kill you. <laughs> but yeah, so of course it's a black girl that dies first. I roll. It means they killed two black people first because they killed for the originals. They started with Kincaid. And for the new kids, they start with Sheila. Yeah. So they found a way to kill a black person first twice in one movie. Kudos to you, Dimension Films. Kudos to you. And then our boy, Rick. Well, it will make you happy then to know that they had to have found his body on the toilet. (laughs) Which goes back to my theory of him being a 30s comedian hiding in this high school for this movie for no reason. When he rolled off that roof in his blazer jacket looking like an 80s stand-up comic, I was like, what are we doing? (laughs) <laughs> and then after we kill him because like Freddy catches him in his like dream world where he's practicing martial arts. Also, glad we stopped that. We don't need a last samurai too. Thank you, Freddy. And so like <laughs> we kill him and at his funeral he pops up to do some stand-up with some really bad jokes, which further confirms my theory that he was a <laughs> 80s comedian hiding in this movie to help further his own career. Truly. I wish that they would have utilized Alice's daydreaming as something that Freddie could manipulate. Because I kept thinking that they were going to do that, but they never did. You know, towards the end, you get the idea that Freddie is the negative dream master and Alice is the positive dream master. So if, like, the daydreams or the good dreams or the nightmares or the, you know, I don't know. I'm probably thinking too much about it, but... <laughs> Because we introduce her as this dream master and she's giving Christian tips that do not help her survive, but still giving her tips. Um, and she is daydreaming with Freddie, who doesn't kill her in her daydreams, but still bothers her. Mm-hmm. And so we should discuss it some more, but we don't. But it also goes back to Alice not having agency because her drunken dad tells her where to stand and she whispers the whole movie. She whispers. I turn my TV up so loud. So loud. <laughs> the title still because I could not right I will also say so the last friend other than the romantic interest that's still alive is Deb and that's the character that they've spent the least amount of time developing mm-hmm. so it's like why and as you said earlier that's when they also introduce her she is now an, a workout enthusiast which comes up at this funeral of the brother boyfriend Rick not mentioned before, ever. Before we knew she failed 
one of her math classes. She watches Dynasty. She has great hair. And then at the funeral, it's like, I don't work out so much to get my ass kicked by some dream guy. And she hates bugs. We learned that earlier, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This was a new thing thrown in, and I think it's because they were like, mm, how are we going to kill her? I don't know. How do you think we should kill her? Could she be working out? Adam Sittens. Yeah, mm-hmm. it could be working out. Who falls asleep while you're working out? I know I've not been in a lot of gyms in my lifetime, but I don't, when I do go, <laughs> or when I would go, go to sleep and or put on Sinead O'Connor's hands on my body. I mean, seduce yourself to the version of you you want to be, I guess, is this theme? <laughs> it was, I don't understand. I, why was this the musical choice? Right. Why? I have questions. Well, yeah, and like, so she falls asleep. I will say it was disgusting when her arms like bent in half and like cracked open. That was disgusting. And that her whole death is gross. I live for that part of it though, because it was so, I mean, I'm sure at the time it was like state of the art, but like it looks so cheaply done now where it was kind of endearing. And I was like, oh, look at these plastic boots opening and closing. <laughs> and then as she continues to kind of turn into this cockroach, it, oh, when her, fa- when her face folds, oh my God, it's so gross. I can't, I don't, I can't do it. I'm all for practical effects. <laughs> they were effective. That's why they're so gross. Yeah. I just, I still don't know when she finds time to work out when Dynasty is on. I don't understand. Maybe she's watching Dynasty and working out. But she's listening to Sinead O'Connor's Hands on the Body also. That was for after the Dynasty went off air. Okay. Maybe that's after Dynasty, but she's like a cool down. She's like, ooh, I'm all hot and bothered by Dynasty. I Let mean, me like segue into some Sinead not- and then like wind down. There might have been some sexy men on Dynasty. I never watched the original, so I don't know. I might need to because, like, I want to be more like Deb. Right. <laughs> and then I had the realization after, I think this is, yeah, this is after Deb's death, that I had the realization of Rick died on the toilet. <laughs> His body was found on the toilet him right for not believing his girlfriend and then not believing his sister like how many of the women around you need to die before you listen asking most men in america when he yells at alice christians wasn't crazy and you're not crazy that does not solve the problem yelling at someone that they're not having a moment does not help them get over the moment i will say even though he was very he's very bland and like we haven't even talked about him the romantic lead is actually supportive of her. And like, he takes up for Rick. Like, he's the one that like beats that, pushes that bully up against the locker. Like, I've got to hear for him. He's really bland and he's forgetful, but. He's Riley from Buffy and that he's there and he does stuff, but I just forget. I don't even know his name. I watched his movie twice, once yesterday and once today. I do not even know his name. His name is Dan, which is also cookie cutter. But at least he's not like telling her she's, crazy or that she's it's not real or you know he's just like i'm going to be here because i don't know what's going on but also i'm a jock so i can't have a lot of deep thoughts just tell me where to be for you right. which <laughs> that's comforting in a way get it <laughs> dan dave something with a d and i also enjoyed that they made the meathead character a woman 
even though they didn't introduce it to the very end when she was going to die. But that's interesting. They don't do that often. No. I was expecting to be the love interest for Alice. Right. Um, and instead, Deb has a throwaway line, I don't work out to get my ass kicked by a man in my dreams. And then she works out once and dies, which is a sign for me to never go to the gym. Because, like, <laughs> bad things happen to you in there. There you it is. Me lifting. And, I mean, anyone out there that does go to gyms, if you've ever fallen asleep in a gym, let us know. I want the story. So, Deb's dead. All her friends are dead. <laughs> Uh, oh, and which they're trying. Okay, so it really tripped me out when they were trying to go save her, and it was like that time loop thing. I thought my internet fucked up. I did the first time. I was like, "Damn it, HBO Max! This is like if we're forgetting to not cancel you after my free trial." And then it was like, "Oh no, it's part of the story." <laughs> I did think it was interesting that he was the one that caught onto that first, but she didn't. It was Dan. Yeah, which is. I, I don't understand because she's the one that's been living in the dreams and fighting with Freddie the longest. Right. And he's the one that's like, you've done this before? After the fourth time. Right. Oh, and we also need to take a moment and talk about the montage when she's taking off the pictures in the mirror and like making herself look like a badass and she's bad, she's ready to go. <laughs> and her theme song, this theme song for this moment of empowerment because she finally found her backbone in her agency. After all of her friends are dead or in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. I was like, and now she's a badass. <laughs> it was but, like 80s. Like, in order to be more 80s, we would have needed Uncle Joey and Uncle Jesse to walk by and be like, you got this, Michelle? What? <laughs> I just... <laughs> I did enjoy that she, you like, they utilized different things from the, her friends. Because she'd been collecting their energies and powers that we didn't know she could do until Christian gave her her power way to change the game in episode four i'm not clocking that <laughs> right but I, th I thought it was an interesting like homage to the characters that have died and then we get to sheree's favorite part <laughs> children <laughs> in the church nobody asked for this nobody needed this and i was upset <laughs> i was upset the children in the church i did think the church set looked cool it looked like a church, yes. <laughs> Which is why I was like, Freddie, we've come too far for you to do this to me after surviving like your like nun mother origin story that was shoehorned into this last movie. You're gonna take me to a church now, Freddie? Really? Really, Freddie? Why? And then with kids, Freddie? Why? <laughs> I trusted you, Freddie. I trusted you. You were my friend. This might be our falling out. This might be what had happened. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe in you anymore. You would do this to me. Michael doesn't go to churches with kids. <laughs> oh, this also, this movie has some of the best one-liners from Freddie. Like, well, it's not Dr. Seuss. <laughs> I love that. I don't know why, because it shouldn't work, but I giggled. I also really liked, welcome to Wonderland, Alice. He came into his own. He he yeah. earned that glove in this one. He was like, I, I know we've been hit and miss. However, I'm here. I'm back. I've got this. Truly, truly. Oh, I'm happy yeah. we both clocked the boob girl that pops into him. Everybody else is a face or of anything course. else. There has An arm. And she's like a topless girl who's like, oh, I was a soul inside of Freddy too. And it's like, where's your shirt though? <laughs> why are nobody, why are you the did Joey like film this last one? Is that what happened? <laughs> I just I don't understand. 
but still we don't have as many topless girls running around as other horror movies so it didn't register on a scale of what the fuckery <laughs> um, when i was a kid it's not friday um, no no in my mind as a child the pizza scene was bigger and better than it is <laughs> it was forever it was its own 30 minute movie and i was here for it well and that was also the scene where she doesn't know she's dreaming but she's obviously dreaming and she's supposed to be home be going to Debs, but she's like, I'm going to go to a movie instead. And we also established the diner, because in the remake, the diner pops up, and it feels like home, but I don't remember why, and it's because the diner was this movie, and I couldn't remember this movie at all. I only remember the pizza from this movie. It, yeah, this movie was rough. And what, okay, this is what I think is the saddest. It kind of ties the two, all four of them together. So, like, the uh the imdb ratings for this so for one it's 7.5 for two it's 5.5 for three it's 6.6 and for four it's 5.7 so two is the lowest rated film i highly disagree i feel like the first one was the strongest and these next three it's more like we love freddy it's not like these are stellar movies I would put two over four. Yes. I would put two over probably three and four. All right, Shrey. What is your hot take with Nightmare three and four? My hot take is that, oh, I don't even know how to phrase this one. Damn it. Um, my hot take is that while I understand that this was an inch closer to being realized as fully recognized double people for black people in this genre that these characters and especially them both dying first in their friend circles is more harmful than helpful and so i would i would want somebody to recheck all of that business uh yeah uh my hot take is that why and it kind of goes off of yours as well but while representation matters and is it is a decent thing I don't good may not be the right word but it's a step it should be handled carefully mm -hmm. and with thought and and actual energy put into making sure that you're representing these things correctly and fully and not just to have it there yes for sure all right well I think we can close the book on the first four Nightmare on Elm Streets for right now. We might revisit them at some point, but right now I think we've successfully unpacked them. Yes. Um, which is exciting because we can leave this particular franchise for who knows how long. I mean, clearly there's like 8 million movies. We'll come back to it at some point, but I'm excited to move on to next week and maybe look at what Jordan Peele is doing if you're yeah. following along. Um, yeah. You want to check out Get Out and Us? Just saying, if you're following along, now's your chance to run out and find Get Out and Us. Um, all right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Sheree. Make sure to follow us on all the social medias, like we said Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, and yeah, go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or whatever platform you want to choose because we're on like a whole bunch. Yes, you can check us out on Anchor and find the podcast that sparks joy in your soul. Exactly. All right. Until next time, stay fierce and 
stay scary. Bye. Bye.